Hello, podcast friends. Welcome to this episode 23 of the Unsunday Show. I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. I want to start a trek down the road to Constantine. I want to start talking about how in the modern institutional church today, we've got to where we are, how church became church. And in order to have that conversation, I think that the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to talk about some of the background that led up to Constantine's edict in the early 4th century, which then changed uh, Christianity, changed the church, really, forever, I think in a bad way. And so in order to get there, I want us to approach it kind of slowly and talk about some of the things that led up to that and define some things together so that we're on the same page as we talk about this. But basically, the idea that I want to broach is how did church become church? How did we move from ecclesia to church, I guess would be maybe a good way to put it. What happened? How did we get there? How did we get from what Jesus laid out as the ecclesia and what we see in the early church as far as the ecclesia to what we have today in modern institutional Christianity with top-down authority and with people in charge of other people and the whole structure of institutional Christianity, which we accept without question. How did we get there? Well, I think we need to back up and we need to kind of move into that slowly. And so these next, I don't know how many episodes, I'm going to be broaching that subject with you and talking about how uh, really church became church and moved away from ecclesia and became church. Now, I acknowledge that's a huge topic, and we're certainly not going to exhaust that topic. We're not. There's no way that we could touch on everything and every influence along the way and, and talk about every circumstance and every person that was a part of the history of all of that. But hopefully we'll get some kind of an overview of it, and we'll start on that today. When I use the word sacralism or a sacral state or even Christian sacralism, whenever I use sacralist or sacral, that word, what I'm referring to is a group of people that are bound together by a common religious loyalty. Now, that common religious loyalty can be pre-Christian or it can be post-Christian. One author that I read insists that all pre-Christian society is, by definition, sacral. And that certainly is the case when we open the New Testament and we see, we see the Roman government in place. And what makes that Roman government sacral, in my opinion, is that loyalty must be given to Caesar. There isn't room for another king. There isn't room for another religion. And that religion is, is centered around Caesar and the King Caesar and really the God Caesar. And anyone who veered away from that sacral system would be punished up to and including death. And it's interesting that in that setting, you know, you think about when Jesus was questioned about paying taxes and his answer was phenomenal. It was amazing because his answer, remember, they came to him and they said, is it lawful to pay taxes? And of course, the dilemma there was you had old covenant Israel which was an exclusive religion of its own. And then you had the sacral system of Rome, which was also exclusive and couldn't tolerate any difference. And so they were presenting this dilemma to Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes? Is it lawful to pay homage to Caesar as king? 
And of course, Jesus' answer to them was brilliant when he asked them for a coin, and then he asked whose inscription is on it, and they said Caesar's. And then he remembered Jesus' response, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And it just blew their minds. You know, they just had a a mind-blowing moment there and didn't know what to say. We see the same thing when Jesus was brought before Pilate, don't we? And Pilate, the Roman governor, asked Jesus the question, are you a king? Because in that sacral system of Rome, there wasn't room for two kings. And, you know, Jesus' response again was brilliant. You've said that I am, he told Pilate. And then he went on to explain, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. And so, yes, he acknowledged his kingship. He acknowledged a kingdom other than Caesar and ultimately put to death, at least in part, for that reason. But in a sacral system, there isn't room for disagreement. You have to, you have to conform. And if you fail to conform, you'll be coerced into conforming with penalties for not conforming up to and including death. And we see that with the Roman government when the New Testament opens. Now, Israel is in kind of a unique spot. Israel kind of had a free pass in some regard as a nation. They were never really part of that sacral society of Rome. But individual Christians were. And when they became Christians and were converted to Christianity, as we see in the New Testament, persecution broke out. Why did persecution break out? Because there wasn't room for another god. There wasn't room for another king. And yet Christianity was an exclusive relationship with Jesus that said there is no other God, there's only one God, and we're going to worship him. And so when we look into the New Testament and into the book of Acts and into the New Covenant epistles, this is, this is the battle that we see happening. This is what we see raging there. Christians were being persecuted because they were disagreeing with the sacral community around them. And there's no room in a sacral community to disagree. You're not allowed to because there's one religion that it's centered around. That's an important concept when we start to talk about Constantine, because we're going to see here in just a moment that Constantine Christianized Rome and what happened under the Edict of Constantine in about 325 AD is there was a new Christian sacral system put in place. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. So under the religion of Rome prior to Constantine, there wasn't room for another king. Caesar was it. Now, there was a lot of paganism that went on, but ultimately, the, you know, the paganism that was going on wasn't exclusive. It allowed Caesar to be king. But when believers became believers, when people were converted out of that pagan society of Rome, out of that sacral system of Rome, and became believers, they became, in a sense, heretics even though what they were doing was theologically correct and theologically right. They became dissenters. They became the heretics simply because they had left that system, that sacral system. So let's fast forward to Constantine. And and Constantine, of course, was the Roman emperor. And in about 325 AD, he supposedly had a conversion experience. He had a vision, and his vision was a cross that appeared in the clouds. And the words on the cross said, in this sign, conquer. And so here's the Roman emperor, Constantine, who has this supposed conversion experience. And, you know, maybe it was, I don't don't know. I can't see his heart. I don't know. But he had this vision to move forward and conquer in the sign of the cross. 
And one of the ways that we see this manifest is in what he did with the Roman soldiers at that time, is he had a monogram created with what looks like our letter P and our letter X. And he had the P put into the stem of the X. You've probably seen that before. And that was placed on Constantine's uh, soldiers and on their shields. And the X, it was the first letter in the Greek word Christos. And the what looks like a P in our language was actually an R in Greek. It's a it's a, the the Greek letter rho, and it was the second letter of the Greek word Christos, meaning Christ. And so you have this X with a P superimposed on it on the shields of Constantine's soldiers as they went out and conquered and coerced people into certain things that we're going to talk about here in just a second in the name of Christ. And so suddenly. With Constantine's edict, the church and the government were wed. The ecclesia and the government became one, with Constantine himself being the head, Constantine himself being, if you will, the Pontifus Maximus. He was still the emperor, and he still had all of his power and authority as emperor, and he imposed himself as high priest, if you will, of this new regime this new regime that was going to go forth and conquer under the sign of the cross, which was the vision that Constantine said he had. In other words, in a moment in time, the Roman government went from being a secular sacral society to being a Christian sacral society. It was still a sacral society where there was one religion now, but the religion was Christianity. The 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 religion was no longer Caesar. The religion was Christianity, but it was still a sacral society because there was one religion superimposed on everyone in a geographical location. And because it was imposed on everyone in a geographical location, society as a whole was forced to embrace this new direction, this new conquering under the cross that Constantine had initiated. You had no choice. If you refused, you would be punished up to and including death. Because remember, the church and the state were now wed. The church had the sword. The church could enforce its opinions on society, its rules on society, and society had no choice but to obey or die. So under Constantine, Christianity became not only legal, but it became required. It became a new sacral society to which everyone in a geographical location, geographical area, must conform to or be punished. Remember, and this is important, in a sacral society, there is room for only one religion. And under Constantine, it was that conquering religion of the cross. This is the first step, the first serious step, the first significant step, where we see the ecclesia transforming from an ecclesia into the church. And we'll talk more in later episodes about that term church and where it came from. But this is this is the defining moment in the ecclesia becoming a sacral society of its own with only one religion. And there was no toleration for anyone who disagreed, for anyone who had a different opinion. Well, here's part of the rub in my thinking is that in the same way that one became part of the Old Covenant community of Israel, remember in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant? In the same way that one became part of the Old Covenant community through circumcision, birth and circumcision, under Constantine, one now becomes part of the sacral community by infant baptism. Infant baptism was the vehicle 
that identified everyone in a geographic location with this new sacral religion, this new uh, Christian sacralism that Constantine started. Infant baptism was the identifying mark of those in the church. And you had to you had to be baptized, and you had to practice infant baptism, or there were punishments set up, again, up to and including death. I bring that idea up of the old covenant community being circumcised, you know, the whole circumcision thing under the old covenant community. I bring that up because in the same way that personal faith under the old covenant didn't make or break you as far as being part of the old covenant, personal faith was now missing in Constantinianism as, again, evidenced by infant baptism. The the ecclesia was forced from a voluntary community of believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ to personal faith being irrelevant, again, evidenced by infant baptism. It became all of those living in a geographical location were identified as the church. And so in that sense, Constantinianism was a throwback to an old covenant definition of community and to an old covenant definition of the people of God. Remember, under the old covenant, personal faith in God isn't what made you part of the covenant community. Personal faith in God isn't what made you part of the people of God. The physical nation of Israel existed irrespective of personal faith. If one was an Israelite in the old covenant, they got that way simply by birth. And then at eight days, if it was a male, you would be circumcised. But you became a part of that old covenant community. You became part of old covenant Israel by physical birth. Personal faith wasn't even on the radar. And so in that sense, Constantinianism was a throwback to an old covenant definition of the people of God, not a new covenant definition. It was a throwback to an old covenant definition of God where circumcision had been replaced by infant baptism. You remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? I like to call that the first episode of Nick at Night. But you'll remember that that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus must have blown Nicodemus's mind because here Jesus is saying, you have to be born again. Why would he say that? Well, he would say that because Nicodemus's first birth didn't take in terms of personal faith. It didn't take in terms of bringing Nicodemus into a new covenant community of the people of God. Nicodemus' first birth, his physical birth, brought him into the old covenant nation of Israel, the old covenant people of God. But Jesus was preaching the gospel to Nicodemus and saying, Nick, your first birth didn't take. You need to be born again. And so there's that distinction there between old covenant Israel and the new covenant ecclesia, where in the new covenant ecclesia, personal faith is required. Well, under Constantine and Constantine's edict, he threw us back into that old covenant concept where infant baptism replaced circumcision and all of those in a geographic area were considered part of the church. Well, here's the dilemma. If we're going to accept the concept of the church as everyone in a geographic area in society as being part of that church, then we have to reject what the New Testament says about the church being comprised of those who believe. These two views can't be combined. One cancels out the other. We can't embrace them both. One is a Christian sacralism, and the other is a New Testament definition of what the ecclesia, what the church is. 
That's the dilemma. And failure to baptize your children would result in punishments up to and including death. Remember, a sacral society can't tolerate rival faiths. Everyone must conform to the sacral society's definition of acceptable church in order for it to survive. If anyone stands up with a different opinion, they're going to be silenced. And that's exactly what happened throughout years of church history. People died because they spoke up and said, this isn't what the New Testament says. This isn't the New Testament description of what the ecclesia is. And they paid the price for it, some with their lives, many with their lives. Because since the church and the state were one and the same, the church used its state power to enforce its policies, to enforce its rules, and to guarantee its survival. In essence, uh, Constantine's edict, Constantine's uh, change, Constantine's conversion and then insistence that the church become what he defined it to be, this whole change that Constantine made nullified Jesus' words when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. Not only that, but it put Peter in the right for pulling out his sword and cutting off that soldier's ear, and it put Jesus in the wrong for rebuking Peter. So what we see under Constantine's change is that adults who had not yet been baptized were required to be baptized. I mean, this was a pagan culture. And all of a sudden, we're baptizing people just for the sake of getting them wet and and requiring them to attend catechism class in preparation for their baptism. And all who attended those classes and refused to come forward for come forward for baptism were punished again to the point even of death because in that in that christian sacralism that constantine created there's no toleration for competing thoughts there's no toleration for competing religions there's no there's no toleration whatsoever for anything outside of that sacral system but the shift went from rome being the kind of the the pagan sacral society to now Rome being the Christian sacral society. And I I use the word Christian in quotes and air quotes because really that's a complete contradiction in terms. Christian sacralism. It's like saying jumbo shrimp. But I really want to just introduce this idea to you. It's something that I've been giving a lot of thought to. And it's a goal where I wanted to take this podcast since I started it. And so I think we're finally getting to the subject that I had hoped we would one day get to, which is the core of how all of this happened, you know, how we went from ecclesia to church. And under Constantine, boy, it really kicked off because all of a sudden you've got the state empowering the church to be what the state insists that it is. And the church and the state are wed. They are one, and the church carries the sword. And to disagree with the church or to refuse the orders of the church is to refuse the government. And the government at that time was not afraid to wield the sword. And it's under Constantine at this time that so much of what we have in modern institutional Christianity originated. You know, he he's the one who gave us buildings. He's the one who started salaries with state funds. He's the one who really solidified top-down authority and the authority of bishops and pastors and elders and so forth. It, it began to really flourish under him 
because it was now legal. Not only was it legal, but it was required. And so the whole hierarchy, uh, the whole hierarchical structure of what we have in modern institutional church settings began there. So this isn't new. This thing's been around a long time. And there's there have been a lot of dissenters. There have been a lot who have spoken up and said, this is wrong. This is not what Christ intended. This is not what Christ instituted. And like I said earlier, many of those suffered to the point of, of dying, of giving their lives uh, for standing up for that. So my goal now as we move ahead is to put more more blocks into this puzzle, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. We'll fill We'll fill in some of the blanks. We'll add some more to our building blocks as we start to move ahead from Constantine toward the Reformation, and we will examine how Constantinianism affected the Reformation and ways that today we see Constantinianism still rearing its ugly head. So that's all I have for this episode. Again, just a quick introduction to some of these thoughts, and I'm looking forward to talking with you more about it. And until next time, I appreciate you guys, and thanks so much.